We're in the conclusion, uh, the last Sunday of a four-Sunday series on forgiveness. Um, and as I said in our series on judgment, I would say again in this series on forgiveness, um, we won't finish today. There is so much more we could talk about. I only have 62 things to cover today. So strap on your seatbelts, we're going for a ride. And forgive me for the length. Our scriptures from chapter 18 of Matthew, beginning at verse 15. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't think we can understate the importance of forgiveness as people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is the bedrock of our faith. Forgiveness is, is really the beginning of our faith. Because where we begin with faith in Jesus Christ, we begin with, Father, forgive me for my sins. And we know that through the cross... Christ died for our sins, therefore we're forgiven, and raises from the dead to redeem us to a different life, a better life, a new purpose. Forgiveness is foundational to our faith. It, it begins there. It ends there. I suspect it's everything in between. As we go through this message, I wanted to just rehash the past messages only in this way. To, to, uh, uh, to bring up these three little um, uh, phrases that I used uh, uh, that I think are very helpful. I, I actually uh, uh, I shared these with a, a, a person I was talking to this week that's not from this church. And, and I, she said, what are you preaching on? And uh, I said, well, I'm preaching on forgiveness. She goes, well, give me a recap. And so... <laughs> 62 things I have today. Um, so I, I, I recapped with these phrases, and, and if you want to write these down, I think they're just helpful to remember. Um, you do have that insert in your bulletin that has a, a space for writing. Uh, but so, so the first one is, a lack of forgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. A lack of forgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. The second one is forgiveness is relinquishing the right to vindication. And she said, what does relinquishing mean? And I said, releasing, giving up. And she said, what's vindication? And I said, revenge. It's giving up the right to revenge. And then the third one, I said, forgiveness is giving up the hope of a different past. And she said, oh, I like that one. And she wrote it down giving up the hope of a different past. Forgiveness is the bedrock, the, the beginning, the end, and all in between of our faith in Jesus Christ. 
And, and forgiveness, you know, Jesus tells us uh, to, to pray that prayer, our Father who art in heaven. And it goes on to say, forgive us our trespasses, or if you're in other expressions of faith, forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin, debt, trespass against us. Forgive us to the extent we're willing to forgive, God, which is kind of a dangerous prayer, isn't it? But Jesus tells us to pray that prayer and to live forgiveness in our life because he knows a little bit about us. He's our creator, right? So he knows a little bit about us. He knows about our needs, our desires, our wants, our hopes, our fears, and he knows how we were created. He knows that spiritually we are affected by forgiveness and unforgiveness. Our inability to forgive inhibits our relationship with God, and it inhibits our relationships with other people. But did you know it also affects your physical health? I read an article not too long ago um, in Psychology Today that talked about, about a lack of forgiveness adds to stress in our life. There's this undergoing, underlying sense of the stress in our lives. It, um, it increases the blood pressure. And, and this one uh, I found interesting just because I think the whole brain chemistry thing is kind of interesting. But you know in your brain you've got this uh, the, where the... the, the, the neurons fire the synapses and all whatever that's called and I but but there's a spot in your brain that they've discovered that that is the unforgiveness spot and when you live a life of unforgiveness it is constantly firing never at rest imagine what that does as opposed to unforgiveness affects us God knows that. God created us to live a life of forgiveness. It really helps if we begin forgiveness by remembering that the death of Jesus Christ wins our salvation, which means we're forgiven and accepted into the grace of God. And that is the bedrock of our faith. Throughout this series, we've used the metaphor of stones to represent the size of the sin we've ex experienced, the wounding we've received. And, and the idea that we carry that around with us, the, the, the heaviness of the sin against us, the wound that we've received, and if we don't forgive, it's like wearing a backpack full of those, carrying them around. There's a psalm that, that addresses that, and, and it's Psalm 32. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 to 4. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. I'll come back to that phrase. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity or in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silent, meaning while I refused to forgive or ask for it, while I kept silent, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. The sense that, that when we do not forgive, we feel the heaviness of that. And, and because God created us that way, we feel that coming from the Lord himself. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Whose sin is covered, it says in there. Happy are those whose sin is covered. It's important to define that, what the meaning of sin is, because we have so many different understandings of that. And it's, and it's pretty simple. In the Old Testament Hebrew, the word used for sin is to wander off a path. 
In the New Testament, the word that's used for sin is as if you were drawing back a bow and, and shooting at a target and missing the mark. Sin is wandering from the path or missing the mark. The intention there is that God has a way for our lives. And to not live God's way, God's will for our lives, we get off the path, we miss the mark, we sin. There's a path we're meant to take. Love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And when we don't, we increase a gap of separation between ourselves and God and ourselves and other people. The small sins, the small sins, the, the, the pebbles, they're, they're just wandering from the path a little bit. When someone does something small to us, we might overreact and cause the gap to grow even larger. Do you pout, shout, post something on Facebook? <laughs> or do you just say, boy, they must be having a bad day, and move on? This kind of stuff happens daily in our lives, this daily stuff. Imagine if God counted it against us, constantly counted it against us. Imagine if God collected all those sins like these rocks. What would a month worth of those look like? And how heavy would that be? What would a month worth of those look like when we will not release them when someone has sinned or offended us in some way? And how heavy would our pack look if month after month we carried those around. This kind of stuff happens every day in our life. Peter asked Jesus, he says, how often should I forgive the people who sin against us? And, and remember, at this point, Peter is hanging around with Jesus and 11 others. There's 12 people in the church and Jesus. So when he's talking about this, he's talking about the people in that group. He says, how often do I forgive these guys, Jesus? And Jesus, he says, do I forgive them seven times? Because seven meant perfection in that day. And Jesus says, no, seven times 70. And he didn't mean 490. He meant perfect forgiveness. He meant, he meant a sense of perfection in our forgiveness. That we don't pile up those stones. That we don't fill our pack, and carry it around. Forgiveness is, is releasing that, that right to revenge, giving up the, the, the small, the medium, and we'll get to the large. How do you do that? Because it's killing you. It's wearing you down. It's making you a person you don't want to be. A lack of forgiveness in your life makes you a person you don't want to be. And so in one of those sermons, I preached uh, um, that we need to rap. And not in musical sense, but uh, raps is actually the acronym. First, remember what you have done. Because you've been there and done that. Or other things, or similar things, or thought those things. Remember, Jesus tells us that if any of you uh, uh, says an angry word to uh, your neighbor, it's as if you have killed them. That's pretty rough. Remember what you've done. There's a little humility necessary in forgiveness. Next, assume the best of the other person, and that's not where we start, is it? 
assume the best. If it helps, assume the potential for the best. If you can't go to the best. Third is pray for them. Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. God, bless this person and help me let go of my animosity toward them. And second, seek to understand what shapes them. Put yourself in their shoes, if you'd like. Find out where they're coming from. You find your heart becoming lighter when you take these steps, more oriented toward loving the other. And we have to work at it. It doesn't come natural. We have to cultivate this grace in our lives. We have to begin to release it. The real challenge comes with these medium stones, the ones that, that, that hurt bad and they're hard to give up. And so we just place another one in our, book, our backpack and just, and just load ourselves up. Things that have been done to us that are hurtful. Affairs, cheating, lying, stealing, breaches of confidence. You can come up with your own examples. And the backpack represents our soul. When someone wrongs us, we carry it around, and we're hurt, and we're angry, and it's killing us. But there's still lingering questions we have about this forgiveness, and I want to answer some of those questions, three of them to be specific, and I'm sure there's more that you can come up with. One of them is, is forgiving the same as condoning? And you know the answer to this without asking the question, but, you know, sometimes we just need to be reminded. My answer is no. Forgiveness is not condoning the behavior. Forgiving is setting aside the right to revenge. It's saying it's not okay, but we're going to continue on in a relationship. And I'll get to how that relationship might look later, but we're going to continue on. I'm not going to let your past bad behavior affect my future and our future together. Again, hold that thought in your mind because we'll get to that in a little while. The next is, is forgiving, setting aside consequences. No. When a young child gets out of line, you discipline them, put them in timeout, whatever the practice is. And you can forgive, but they're still grounded. There's consequences because it helps them learn. It helps them grow. Do we forgive even if they haven't asked for forgiveness? Maybe they don't know that they did wrong. Maybe the wrong they did was only wrong to you, but not in the eyes of everybody else. Maybe you took it in the wrong way. Maybe, maybe they don't understand uh, that, that it might have been an offense. Maybe they just won't ask for forgiveness. They never acknowledge it. Well, there's components of forgiveness that make it complete, that begin the process of reconciliation of the, rec uh, uh, of the relationship. It begins with your offer of forgiveness. And then the necessity on their part, now it's on them. The necessity on their part is an awareness that they have done wrong, a regret for what they have done, a confession of what they have done, and a request to be forgiven, and a change in their behavior. 
some measure of change must happen. They must begin to move back toward the path, closer to hitting the mark. But that's on them. What if they don't repent? What if they don't seek forgiveness? Well, my answer to that is these small things, release them. Don't hold on to them. What good is that doing you? The medium ones get harder. The larger ones even more so. The pain, though, of carrying it around is greater than the pain they're experiencing. Will you continue to punish yourself for somebody else's wrongdoing? I want to tell you about Chuck and Jan. Chuck and Jan uh, were very good friends of Nancy and and mine. Uh, And I'm going back 25 years, and we haven't seen them in years. I'm not even sure they're alive. Uh, They lived in Wichita, Kansas. But we were involved in a ministry together um, that that transcended the states. And um, uh, Chuck uh, and Jan uh, are a pastoral family. Chuck pastored a church, a Methodist church also. Um, And if you met Chuck and Jan, what you would say about them is um, they are the kindest, gentlest people you've ever met in your life. I just, I just have never met, I've met a lot of kind, gentle people, but if you, if you say, you know, what is, what is the stereotype of kind and gentle, Chuck and Jan would be the poster children. Just sweet, wonderful people. A little bit older than us, Nancy and me. Well, Chuck and Jan have a son, Chuck Jr. He lived in Paducah, Kentucky, while we lived in St. Louis, and Chuck and Jan lived in Wichita. And Chuck, had, uh, Chuck Jr. had a daughter, Nicole. Nicole was a beautiful, sweet young girl who, who went out of her way even to tutor fellow students in her high school. She was also a young girl who was trying to live her Christian faith to the best of her ability. And that included school days, gathering with friends to do Bible study before school started. Michael was one of those young men she was tutoring. And for whatever reason, we don't know the answer. For whatever reason, one morning, Michael walked into that Bible study and shot Nicole in the head and two other girls and one young man who survived his injuries before the gun was wrestled from his hand. Chuck and Jan called us and said, we got to drive from Wichita to Paducah. Can we stop at your house? Can, can we stop overnight on our way? You see, Nicole lived long enough to donate her organs, but they wanted to get there and, and be with her before the life support was removed. And Chuck and Jan stopped at our house several times over the period of several months as they first went through the removal of life support and then the funeral and then began the process of the court. And they wanted to be there for every, every hearing. And one day, as they were staying at our house, Chuck said this to me. Chuck said, I hope he doesn't plead guilty or insanity because then the death penalty will be off the table. 
Now, I'm, I'm not judging Chuck at all. I, I don't, I've never had something just that awful happen to me, and I can't even imagine what that would be like. I've joked before, but it's not so funny now, but I've joked before that if somebody did something awful to my children, we didn't need the death penalty. We just needed five minutes in the room by myself with them. Whether you oppose the death penalty or not, what I saw in Chuck was a man who couldn't forgive, at least in that time. I wish I had continued the relationship because I'd love to have a conversation with Chuck today and, and find out where is he in that. But at least at that time, Chuck, the most gentle man I knew, suffering severely under this giant stone of injury, couldn't release it couldn't walk away from it. You know, as you think of forgiveness, let me, let me give you uh, two things that I think are responsibilities of we as followers of Jesus Christ. The first is letting go, and the next is mercy. Letting go, as I've said, means releasing the right to revenge. Doesn't the Bible say, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord? If you have one of those big or medium sins that have been perpetrated against you, most can't release it immediately. I get that. I understand that. It takes time. It takes prayer. Before you can go on, I recognize that, that in my own life I've had things that have been done to me that I've taken great offense to, and I have to remind myself what I teach. Pray. Remember what I've done. Assume the best. Seek to understand. Now, I know that, that when you pray for somebody who has offended you that bad, first you begin with a prayer that is, forgive them, God, with your teeth clenched tight. I, I've counseled this before, and, and let me offer to this you this. It is not biblical, uh, but I don't think it's bad. And that's this. If forgiveness isn't in your heart, try pity. Seriously, Start with pity. Start with pity. Lord, I pity the person that doesn't know grace and love. I pity the person who's been hurt so bad in their life that they have to hurt me. I pity the person who, like a cur dog, would bite someone trying to save them, not knowing that the rescuer means well. Lord, I pity them. And maybe that'll take six months of prayer. And maybe longer. For the medium rocks, maybe that's about the length of time, I don't know. I don't think, like grief, I don't think that somebody can tell you in what step you should be in your process of forgiveness. But in the larger stones, it's, it's like chipping away. And maybe a little bit flakes off. Maybe a little bit at a time. But you keep going and keep chipping. The second part of that is extending mercy. Do you extend mercy to someone who hasn't asked for it? Well, I'm going to say no. And in a minute, I'm going to say yes. Michael Carneal was the young man with the gun in Paducah, Kentucky. 
I remember seeing um, uh, outside the courtroom, I, I remember seeing the students, in, led by the student who took the gun out of Michael's hand, the students standing outside the courthouse, the Christian students with signs that say, Michael, we forgive you. These were young people trying to live out their faith as they understood it. But I think sometimes extending mercy doesn't turn a heart. Extending it before someone seeks it, someone asks for it, someone wants it, can work against them. An abuser whose spouse takes them back time after time after time, if there's no change, it creates a, a, a pattern of abuse, mercy, no change. Abuse, mercy, no change. But there are also times that we extend mercy when it hasn't been sought after. Because it may lead to redemption. I think of Christ on the cross as he, as he looks down on the Roman guard. He's got one shot at this, one opportunity. He looks down at the Roman guard who has nailed him to the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And extends mercy to the soldier. How do we know that story? We know that story because some soldier heard it, and according to Luke, in the book of Luke, he heard it, and when Christ died, he said, surely this is the Son of God. And I suspect at that point, he recognized the need on his own part for seeking redemption and reconciliation with God through his Son, Jesus Christ. And somehow that story gets to Luke, and it's printed in the gospel. Jesus speaks to us about forgiveness in that passage that I read. Matthew 18. When someone sins against you, go to them and talk to them about it. Not gossip to your friends or share it in your small group or Sunday school class. I know, I've been there myself. It's, it's easier to, to, to gain support than it is to go talk to the person, isn't it? Much easier. Gather a crowd around you. If they listen, though... You've regained one, Jesus says. You've redeemed a relationship. They either say, I'm sorry, or maybe they say, I don't care. Get lost. And then Jesus says, if they don't listen, take people with you that you trust, and I would say that they trust also. I think that's intended in this. A disinterested third party who could judge between the two of you because maybe you're wrong in taking offense. Hold out that possibility. But if then they don't listen, tell it to the church. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass that by for just a minute because I, I think that brings on a, a whole other uh, topic that's one of those that I'm not going to address today. I, we could go on and on on this. But Jesus says, treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. This is important. This is vital. Who is Jesus accused of sitting down with and spending time with? Sinners and tax collectors. How do you treat someone who has offended you? The same way Jesus treats sinners and tax collectors. With love and grace and an offer, a constant offer of reconciliation. Do you allow them to hurt you again? No. There's room for... Uh, Maintaining a boundary, 
I also know there are some stones we can't pick up, too heavy to bear. Some stones that will take a lifetime of chipping away at. But I've also met people of incredible grace, grace that I don't understand. Derek and Maureen were two of those. Derek and Maureen uh, were people in, in a previous church that I, I knew, um, and I knew they were faithful, trying to be faithful. I just, I didn't know exactly um, uh, the depth of their faith. I just knew they were good people. They were well-respected in the community. In a smaller town, that's easier to say, but they were well-respected in the community. And, and Derek and Maureen were just wonderful, caring, kind people. Um, but I didn't know to how much. I didn't know how much faith had, had um, impressed their heart. Derek and Maureen also had a son who was trouble in elementary school. When he got to middle school and high school, vandalism, drugs, alcohol, just anything he could do to get in trouble, he didn't push the boundaries, he ran through them. Always in trouble, always a problem. But when he was in his 20s, early 20s, He had a child with a girl and began to turn his life around. He got a job. He got off drugs, stopped drinking. He, he drove a, a, a really small, I mean, not really small, but it was like an like a old beat-up Volkswagen Jetta. Okay, just, I know it was a Volkswagen. I don't know what brand, what, which, which body style, but it was small. And it was old, and, but it got him to work. And so one day he's headed to work. There's a very large pickup coming the other way. The passenger in the pickup texted her father, Dad, I don't want to drive with her. She texts all the time. And that pickup ran over that small Volkswagen in a head-on collision. Their son didn't die right away. They took him to the ER, and, and, and I went to the ER waiting room to be with them, and, and uh, there was another pastor in the room with us, and there were chaplains from the hospital. When you're in a smaller town, everybody knows everybody. The, 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 the paramedic who extricated the son knew the family real well, and the, and the ER docs knew the family real well, and, and, and they were working so hard, and then they came into the room. It wasn't the first time I'd heard it. But I want to tell you, you don't want to hear the voice of a father crying out when he's told his son has died. After the, the time in the emergency room, the prayer and everything, I went to their house a few days later to begin to prepare the funeral, and we invited another pastor who knew them really well from the past to, to come and be a part of it. And, and, uh, um, but they said, Dave, um, uh, even though the other pastor is going to do a lot of it, I need you to say something. Derek and Maureen said, we, you have to say something. We can't say it because we'll be in tears too much, but you have to say something. And here's what you have to say. You have to say to the congregation, you have to forgive that young lady. They said, we have been the recipients of so much grace 
from when our son went the wrong way that our faith tells them we have no choice but to offer grace and forgiveness to the one that offends us. Now I can tell you that their daughter was in the room with us and um, I won't use the expletives that she said, but it was something like, oh heck no. She's not in the same place. She's not in a place of forgiveness. She's chipping away. And maybe for a while to come. But that's where we're called to be in our faith. To remember what we've done. Humility. To assume the best of the other. To pray for them and to seek to understand and to forgive to the extent we're able. Amen. And amen. Many of you have been carrying around a, a, a little rock uh, in your pocket that we gave out in the first couple of services. If you didn't get one, they're still on the, uh, the welcome table out there. You can pick one up because we're going to bring those back for the Ash Wednesday service this Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday, the beginning of the season of Lent, when we, uh, uh, when we prepare our hearts to seek the forgiveness that God offers us in, in the cross of Jesus Christ, and we call that Easter. Um, but we're going to use that as a part of that service. And so I encourage you to, to pick one up and carry it in your pocket, um, uh, or uh, they'll be available when you get here on Ash Wednesday. Our usher's going to come now and uh, uh, collect the offering, giving you an opportunity to thank God for your church, Thank God for your uh, friends around you. Thank God for the forgiveness that you've been offered, not only by God, but by those who seek to live the faith as best they possibly can.